Imagine you're 80 years old, sitting on a park bench next to a man. He tells you about his immense love, his travels, his incredible success. This man is who you could have been. This is you. Take control. Become a master of your life. This is Mentors Collective. What is up, Mentors Collective? Welcome to another awesome episode. Now, listen, if you're watching this and you probably have Instagram, you've been on your phone, you've scrolled, you look, at, you look up to other entrepreneurs that are doing big things. You see them on their yachts. You see them in their penthouses. You see them on their, their PJs, their private jets. And you want that life. Everybody sees it and they think that's all entrepreneurship is. That's the end goal. In this episode, I'm going to spend some time with a good friend, one of the funniest entrepreneurs that I know, and we're going to be diving into that life. How much do these things cost? Are they worth it? And what do you really need to do and to earn to be able to have that sort of lifestyle? And then we're going to jam on some fun stuff. But anyways, without further ado, I really want to introduce a good friend of mine. And if you're not already following this guy on Instagram, you have to go check out his stuff. He's the man. Welcome, Nima Yamini. Uh, it's a pleasure to have you on the show, brother. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Phil. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Yeah. I love your content. I love yeah. your content. Yeah, your man. content's a lot of fun. I see you <laughs> on the PJs. I see you on the yacht. I see you giving back, educating people, yeah. the, the next generation of entrepreneurs. And tell me a little bit about your history in business. Obviously, you've been in the game for a long time. Uh, so how did you get to where you are today? Give us the elevator story. Yeah, so I'm basically turning uh, 42 years old uh, in a few weeks. You look great. And... Thanks, man. Thanks. You know, it's, uh, you know, and, and I was just saying this on an IG story where um, I remember I'm in Paris right now. And I remember coming to Paris, you know, in my 20s and just basically crashing on a sofa. And now I can come here, rent a private, you know, penthouse, you know, private elevator. But it's very foreign to me to have this, you know, affluent lifestyle with these luxuries uh, because, you know, I, most of my life I was a working class man. And I think for people that before I get into the question you have, I, I think for many people who become like now you see crypto people who just become rich at like 19. Right. Or, or back in the 90s when I was in high school, people were becoming millionaires selling websites, you know, just left and right. You know, you know, it could be anything like, you know dogshit.com like that could sell for 50 million dollars. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it didn't matter. Like anything could sell literally, you know? And, and, and now I, you know, in the last two years, you saw a lot of people make tremendous wealth, uh, through crypto and a lot of people lost money, but it reminds me of that, of how people became, how some people become rich right away or through an inheritance, you know? So for me, I didn't really start doing millions of dollars of deals until my late thirties. You know, and, and, and at 18, I, I left college. I got into business. I got into sales, start trying a bunch of different businesses, try to do the music industry in LA. Then I got involved with, uh, with nightclub promotions in New York city, where I was bringing out fashion models. And I started a promotions business and, uh, five nights a week, I just got to, you know, meet some of the wealthiest people in the world, like literally billionaires, hedge fund managers, a-list Hollywood actors, actresses, supermodels, top model agents, top mo uh, photographers. And from there, I, I, I didn't really care too much about how much profit I made. 
and I didn't know what I wanted to do, but I knew that if I could get into that A-list New York City hierarchy, from there, I would be able to figure out what I wanted to do. And I told myself this when I first got into the nightclub business. And, you know, I'll tell you, I said, after two, three years, I'll figure out what I want to do. I ended up doing it for about 10 years off and on. And I used it at night to start doing commercial real estate deals. And I failed at real estate a bunch of, a, like, it, I, I, I tried real estate, I failed. I tried real estate, I failed. I tried real estate, I failed. I tried real estate, feast or famine. Just keep failing, keep getting back up. But I knew I had that consistent income from my promotions business, bringing out models, which basically just go to castings, get five, six models, bring them out to a nightclub, enjoy bottle service. And you're like in this undesignated VIP area where the person next to you in New York City, and this is like the New York City nightclub, they got like a $5,000 table minimum. Right. So like you're basically meeting like the lead singer of Maroon 5 or Jay-Z or Leonardo DiCaprio or like whatever. You're, you're like you're in that room and then the billionaire's son is right there, you know, and just the relationship. I never cared if I made, you know, if I made two thousand dollars in a week doing that, that doesn't go far in Manhattan. Right. You know, I still had a roommate. You know what I mean? I still had a roommate. And, and, and I thought I was living comparatively well you know, compared to my peers in my 20s, you know, but that was largely like a working class existence, considering the circumstances of being in Manhattan. I didn't feel wealthy at all. I didn't feel like if you make $100,000 and you live in Pens, you know, uh, Mississippi, you're living pretty well. If you make $100,000 in Manhattan, bro, you're, that's not really going far. And that's even in 2007. Yeah, you know I what did I mean? it for four years, brother. I know. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So you understand. Oh, yeah. It's, it's yeah, brutal I mean, out there. Yeah, you know, and, and so so basically I was doing a nightlife, I was doing uh, real estate, and then from there, one of the people that I met in the nightclubs used to work at HSBC, and during the subprime crisis, you might remember, in New York, if you were there, I mean, it got wiped out. A lot of people got fired, a lot of people lost their job in the finance sector. It was complete devastation, you know, and he went back to Switzerland. It was my friend, he was working as a hedge fund analyst. Anyway, long story short, him and I end up getting back in touch and he was working in the private equity space doing secondary transactions. Basically, just one investor wants to leave a fund. Another person wants to buy into the fund. There's some negotiation and then the person in the middle can get like an advisory fee. It's much more regulated in America compared to Switzerland cool. but, or, 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 or the EU. But it's, it's a very uh, intricate part of PE. So from there, I start making money and being able to travel. Yeah. And long, and then another long story short, I ended up meeting my fiance, who's about to have our daughter, my first daughter, uh, my first child uh, in a few weeks. We met in Spain and I met when I was abroad. I was work, I was doing remote work before COVID. And then COVID hit and I had, a, you know, basically I was in a position of, do I go to Germany or do I stay in the United States and not be with her? So I came, I came to Germany. I love America. I'm born and raised there. Save, America saved my grandfather's life. You know, I, I'm, I'm sentimental about that country, you know. But um, uh, so I went to Germany. You know, I live here. I live over uh, now I'm in Paris, but I live in Germany about five months out of the year. And I live in Miami, Florida as my primary residence. So that's, that's, that's how I got here. And I've been doing finance for a while. And then COVID happened. And then I was, you know, thinking, what am I going to do? about two years ago. I was thinking about, you know, what am I going to do? Uh, I was already financially free from having to get a paycheck the next week, the next month. Right. I was comfortable. So are you at a point now very where you would say that you are, 
you know, it's, it's it, it became passive income at one point, or would you say you're still pretty pretty hustling on the work, on the company, on the business? What's your lifestyle like? Yeah, it's a great question. You know, so so right when COVID hit, I basically had a midlife crisis. It was a little less than two years ago. Yeah, two tell summers. Me, ago, tell me about that. I think about it. Yeah, yeah. So you know, I, I COVID. You know, when COVID hit, the restrictions in in the EU were were strong. Like it wasn't a joke out here. It wasn't like Florida. You know, it was not. Praise two, the Santa. Two planets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's two. It's two planets. All right. So. Uh, when I when I'm in Florida, I mean, you know, you felt liberation. Uh, but in Germany, it is without getting politics. It, it is it was locked down. Like gyms were closed. I gained weight. I, I I don't I take responsibility for that. But it was just strict. And I didn't speak German at all at that point. Now, I'm, now I've gotten better. But I was isolated. Point blank. I was just isolated. And I started doing TikTok videos. And I didn't care about making the money. Start doing videos, and then, and then, and then from there, now we are here. So I, I never thought I would get into social media. I think that really happened because of COVID, uh, and I didn't really care about making money. Uh, we ended up, my partner and I ended up starting a successful online education business. But now we have, you know, we've employed, I don't know, maybe thirty people at this point, you know, uh, throughout throughout when we started. Um, but I didn't really think about making money. It it, it ended up coming. But when I started social media, it was more, I didn't work for several months. I was comfortable and I wanted to do something more than just private equity. You know, private equity, you don't have to work that much. You, you reach a certain point. You don't have to work that much. It's similar to being a doctor, you have a private practice Monday through Friday, you make your own hours, you're in, you're out, you're living pretty good. You know, it's, you know, it's, but I, I wanted something more than that, you know, but I think for doctors, you're really helping people. You're a healer. You know, I can't compare that to a doctor. You know? Hey, not so much anymore. Like and I'm glad you found TikTok. You've got the personality and the charisma for it. And he's, the content's crushing. So during the COVID kind of 2020, 2021 era, did you participate in this crypto boom and this kind of manic get rich quick and, you know, flipping GM, uh, AMC, GameStop? What, what, what were you doing during that time? I know you mentioned crypto and, and compared it to, the dot-com bubble. What were you doing that time? Yeah, you know, it's crazy. I I never, at that point, when the crypto boom was crazy and I was watching all these influencers take checks, take the money, you know, it was almost like unconventional wisdom to not do it. Yeah. And until and this day, I can tell you, I never got paid by a crypto company to promote any ICO. I never did an NFT project. I, I just, I never did one. Because you, know, you knew never it was going to happen? Money. Or had a suspicion? That's a good... I feel... That's a man, you're a good question. <laughs> you know, uh, I didn't... I feel like when someone trusts you, yeah, especially like a follower or a supporter, like a patient you have, right? That patient could have gone to any doctor. That patient went to Doctor Feldman because not only did he know you were competent, but he likes you. He genuinely likes you and trusts you. And I feel like if I did that to someone on social media, not that I outsmarted them, it's that they liked me, that they trusted me, 
And then I just sold them out for a $50,000 check, a $100,000 payoff. And I fucked them, screwed them. And then I, and then I, and then I pat myself on the back. Ha ha ha. They're so stupid. Right. No, they trusted you. They liked you. They actually liked you. You know that this, this like they trusted you. They thought the best of you and you screwed them. I, I, I never could live, you know, like I, I'm big on, can you, some people can wake up in the morning, lie to you, abuse you, hurt you. And they can wake up in the morning, Dr. Film, they can wake up in the morning and be fine. Right. If you if would more like more influencers think, thought like yeah, you, you would like, we, so many people wouldn't have lost so much money over the past two years with all the crazy pumping up schemes that you've seen with the TikTok and Instagram and YouTube influencers. And I've been a victim of it too. So good on you feeling that sense of responsibility to your followers. Uh, I think more influencers should kind of follow your lead on that one. Kudos to you. Thanks. Thank Absolutely. you. Thank you. You know, thank you. You know, it, 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 I, it took me a while to realize this, maybe I guess you could call it a fallacy. I, I don't know, but this idea that, if I if someone screws me over, they can't look at themselves in the mirror the next day. Yeah. And I realized that there are people who can screw you over, wake up in the morning and think you're the sucker. It was your fault and that you did nothing and they did nothing wrong. And they're no shame. I'm not one of those people. Right. They say it's not can't. financial I, I, advice I, I, and then they can say anything that they want without any responsibility. Man, I, I, I'm with you on that. Yeah. Like some people, I, I think it's important that I want to be happy more than wealthy. So, you know, it's like if, if I wake up in the morning and I have to look at myself in the mirror, knowing I screwed someone over it, I would be miserable inside. So it's selfish that I do this. It's actually selfish. I, I make it sound like altruism, but the truth is I'm just not wired like that. Oh yeah. To do that. And I never took it. I never took, I never took any crypto NFT money. And, oh. and, and now, and now it turns out in hindsight, it was the right thing to do. Yeah. You probably but, saved people their fortunes. I mean, who knows if you would have pumped something, who would have gone all in on something, spent their, all their savings on it. Uh, so keep up the, the great work with the content. Thanks, Let's man. dive into some of the, some of the fun stuff that I mentioned earlier on in the episode. Yeah, I've yeah. seen you on, on the PJs, on the yachts. Is that a new thing? How long have you been kind of living that lifestyle, um, doing kind of those uh, aspirational things that entrepreneurs all want to, to seem to do? That's a great question. You know, I, I think because I lived so long as a working class man, um, it was very hard for me to start doing anything like that. Right. You know, it's, it just, it wasn't like as soon as I made money, I started doing it. It was more like out of a state of paranoia, like, you know, do I have enough money to cover my rent for the next or mortgage or do I have a mortgage? But do I have enough to buy food for the next 20 years? Like it's, it's a level of like, oh, my gosh, I got a little bit of money. I don't want to lose it now. And we see what's happening with inflation in the United States. Germany's not that much better. But but, it, you know, it is once you get it. You work so hard to get it. You know, you, I'm sure you understand as well. You're a successful entrepreneur yourself. Once you get it, it's, it's, it really evolves your thinking. Not, and this is my experience. It's evolved my thinking on taxes. It's evolved my thinking on, on governance. It's evolved my thinking on uh, just 
just, just, you know, what am I going to do with it? How am I going to protect it? Things I didn't think about before. I, I, when I didn't have money, I couldn't think about, oh, I'm going to make a angel investment, a $50,000, $100,000 angel investment. And I know it's a high risk. It's going to fail. Okay, let me make 30 of these, for example, right? I wouldn't even think like that because I didn't have the money. You know, like, but then once you have the money, you start thinking the, the fear of, oh my gosh, well, inflation, look what's happening in the United States. I mean, the government, I mean, the country looks like it's about to explode in a civil war. You know, yeah. Germany has high inflation, so I can't run there. Screw there. Heck, in Germany, you got over 200 banks where you pay them. To put your money there. Jesus. <laughs> I didn't know that. No I thought things were rough here. That's brutal. Yeah. I mean, I mean, it's, 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 you know, the civil dynamics, I would say yeah. is much more calm, but, yep. but there's nowhere to run at this yep. point. This, this has infected the whole globe. Yep. And I you think, mentioned, I think you mentioned one thing that I think is important and something that I deal with too, which is that you spent most of your life as a working class. So arguably you grew up with a healthy concept of money. A dollar meant a lot to you. You didn't grow up with some trust fund. Uh, the, the value was, was there. You understood it. And I'm kind of the same way. You know, I grew up working as a collections agent. Um, I work, worked my whole life. Uh, and now that I have money, it's like, all right, what do I do with it? And I feel guilty spending it on, spending it frivolously, doing things that I know I don't need, even upgrading to like the, the, even the bigger seats on an airplane, I feel a little bit of guilt in and I shouldn't. It doesn't even, I don't even notice it in my bank account, but I feel exponentially more comfortable. Did you ever feel that when you spent money on say chartering a yacht or chartering a private jet? What is that like mentally for you? You know, it's one of these, it's interesting you say that. I think anyone who came from nothing, you know, my, my parents were immigrants. Uh, my family's from Jerusalem. Uh, in Israel and uh, Iran. So, you know, I'm like, my, my, you know, I really did not have, we, we lost, they can't, you know, if for anyone that started from nothing, when you hear another person who really started from nothing and they tell you, okay, now I have some success. I became a millionaire. I became multimillionaire, right? There's something about when you sit down with that person it, like, you don't know what it's like unless you actually experience that. That's something very hard. That human experience is very hard to fake. So when you just say to me right now, like, man, and I got in business class and I upgraded from coach economy to business class, it conflicted with your principles, your values, your mindset of what helped you get there. And it was like a paradigm shift for you, it sounds like, you know, like, you, now you're now it's a whole new paradigm. Like, oh, I can afford this, but you're still stuck in that former paradigm, right? Yeah. Same thing with me, man. Same thing with me. I, it's, and I flew Lufthansa business class from Miami to Frankfurt, and um, and 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 it, even for me, it's like I almost get shaky. You know, like it's like because I'm like I'm like so scared I'm gonna go back to losing everything. And 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 another thing that I found to be true. Please tell me if you had a similar experience, but like, like initially you just want to have money. You want to have financial freedom, but then once you have it, it, that paranoia of losing it is strong, man. 
I mean, you tell me. I mean, I, that, that's my experience. You know, it's like, it's not like, oh, it's peaches and roses. You know, it's like, no, no now you got something. Are you going to lose it and then go back? You know, am I going right. to go back to working at nightclubs till three o'clock in the morning in New York City and then going and chasing models at the, at the age of 41 years old? I hope not. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's like, it's I, definitely know. there for me, too. And I think it's there for a, a lot of people that have never that have come from our backgrounds without growing up with a lot of money, because we know what the other side is like. And I have lost pretty much all of my money before. I don't know if you've ever gone through something similar where you started a business, something failed. Yeah. And I was going, yeah. when I was in, in my twenties, I started a very successful social media marketing company, got up to like 50, nice. 60 grand a month, most nice. of that being in my pocket. And then one day kind of the source of our business shut off and I went from 50 to like five. And I was spending frivolously at the time, living in New York City, you know, VIP tables. I had a, a high rise in Manhattan overlooking the Empire State Building. Nice. And then kind of the oh shit moment happened. And man, from, but I already knew how to make money at that point. So I was okay, figured it out. I, I made money pretty quickly. And I think that's what we, we know, but we don't internalize. And that's where the paranoia comes from. So I'm still in a protective mode. That's still why I'm like, all right, it's extra 1500 bucks to upgrade to business class. I'm not going to do it this time. But then I'm on the plane walking back to my coach seat. I'm like, I'm a fucking idiot. Why didn't I just pay the extra money and yeah. do the business class? Yeah. So, you know, both, both ways are tough. Um, but I'm with you, brother. Does it, does it sound pretty similar? Have you ever lost everything in, in your companies before? Yeah, I've, 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 I, when I was about 23 years old, I moved out to California. I was living in Malibu. I had a drop top BMW. I started a, excuse me, a web design business. And I was, you know, basically cold calling. There was a website called, um, I don't even know if it exists, called uh, Info USA or something like that, right? It's based in Iowa. And I got these leads and I would phone call a bunch of small businesses in the Los Angeles area. Then I'd go, you know, hey, hey, how you doing, Mr. Thomas? I'm going to build you a website. Excuse me. Now, this is around 2003, mind you. This is not now. You know, like back right. then it was even back then even it was too late to do web, web design. But so basically what I would do was simple. I would, I, I would, I would sit down at a nice laminated pamphlet. I would do my sales pitch and I would tell them we'd build their website. And we would. But I would actually get my website done in India. Back then, this is not like now. And now it just sounds right. like this is a no-brainer. But back, yeah, it's obvious. But back then, you know, getting a website, I don't even think Fiverr existed back then. Like none of this, so many of uh, the, yeah, the 20 world years was, ago. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 2003. I mean, I, I don't even know if Instagram existed. I don't even know if Google. No, Google existed. I think Google existed. But anyway, so I, I, I would get the website done for like $200. And I would sell it for like 1100 1600 And then I start getting credit cards. And I start, and I'm 23, testosterone through the roof. I just wanted to bang every girl I could, essentially, you know, woman. Uh, and I'd go to the nightclubs and I'd buy bottle service. And, I, you know, I had the BMW, had a home in Malibu. And I just ran through it. Eventually, I went bankrupt. And, and literally bankrupt. I was about 26. I was, I was literally bankrupt. And, it's good to go through something like that. It teaches yeah. you some humility uh, and teaches you what, you're, what you now know, which is protect your shit. 
and I think that's an important skill to learn. And you can't really just learn it without feeling it. You have to you have to feel the emotions of of being bankrupt in order for it to really stick. Yeah, it's it's really uh, it was it was very humiliating, you know. And and then and then losing to BMW, losing to BMW, Oof. and then and then just and then I I just I mean that was brutal, man. It, it, that 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 kind of, that sort of humiliation though is really. Uh, yeah, it's like you're a therapist, you know, I think about it, but you know, now I'm reliving that moment, you know, you know, wow. I mean, I could see how people give up on entrepreneurship. I think a lot of being an entrepreneur is really, it sounds so corny, but it's, but there is, I think so many people say it, it's cliche maybe, but don't give up. And it really is that simple for a lot of situations. My situation, I could have easily given up been an average uh, Israeli or Iranian American guy, you know, go get a finance degree, you know, go get a law degree, go work. You know, it's just like, I didn't, I didn't, I, I think about that, you know, like it, 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 it would have been like what my peers were doing. I, I just, it wasn't me, you know, and I want to do some creative and I want to do some entrepreneurial and my peer group, it wasn't like what my peer group was doing. A lot of them became successful too, but they took a more conventional path than me. You know, mine didn't look like it was going to work out. Maybe my mom was maybe ashamed of me. You know, maybe, I don't know. You know, maybe my dad was ashamed. I remember my dad telling me once in my thirties, son, do you, how much money do you have saved? We're sitting down. Son, how much money do you have saved? Can you show me? And then I put in my phone and I show him. He's like, you don't even have $5,000 saved. He's like, and you think you're going to be Bill Gates? Bill Gates can save money. You'll never be like these guys if you can't at least save money. And I remember, and I tell my father, next year I'm going to come back, I'm going to have 5000 And this is, how, this is how low I was. This is way before, you know, doing millions of dollars of business. This is just from the very beginning, you know. It felt like the beginning, even in my 30s, you know. Um, but those were hard conversations, you know. And, and then you start thinking, are you crazy? You know, like you keep reading books and stuff. and I started reading a lot of books, like a maniac. Just, I think one year I read like 80 books, like 70 books. I actually have it written down because I was just a maniac about it. Yep. And uh, that, that, was a, that was a period of my life where it was like, it was like three years where I was like a cave. Like I didn't really make more money, but it was just like, that was, you know, that was really like my college, going to the Mulberry yeah. Street Library. You have to grow into a bigger person if you're going to do bigger business and make more money. And it sounds like that's what that was for you. So yeah, yeah, yeah man. The Mul Mulberry Street Library in New York City, uh, that, that for me was really like a – that was really my alma mater. You know, that in, yeah. that in Amazon.com ordering books, used books, get a discount, you know. Those, those I, love really that. I love that. Yeah. I, I think having a few years, you know, to, to – you know, like a few years – for people that learn – like my parents are college graduates. I'm not, I left college, but, but, but I think, you know, if you can learn well in a classroom, great. I can't like some people can, like my brother could, you know, I, I just don't have that ability, you know? So for people who can't, I wish there was a program in America that said, okay, you know what? We're not going to give you a federal grant to go to college because you're going to waste everyone's time. You're going to distract the other students. The teacher's not going to want to talk to you. And it's just going to be a, a poor ROI, but we'll give you a federal grant. We'll give you something to go, go study on your own for two years. And, you know, you have someone that's going to do some sort of compliance, but you're very off on your own. And I think that would help 
a lot of entrepreneurs, but I also think that would help a lot of future innovators, inventors. Because I, I like, you know, you can destroy someone's self-esteem, you know, in that setting, you know, especially someone like me, man. I, you know, I, my family's, you know, my uncle's a professor. It, it's just like, it was highly academic. I didn't go that route. I didn't do well there. It was like, no matter how much, it was like a screwdriver as an instrument, but I needed a hammer, you know, and, and it was frustrating. Yep. It's like everybody in the peer group was doing great in college and school, but me. I could talk I to you all day about educational reform. I mean, the current yeah. system, I think no one's arguing with you that's broken. I know my kids, I'm going to find some kind of business school, entrepreneurial life school to enroll them in. You got a kid now, so maybe start thinking about starting something like that. That'd be cool. Yeah, I th I'm, uh, a big fan. I'm a big fan of homeschooling, man. I'm a big yeah, fan me of too. homeschooling. I Really? I support it a hundred percent. Take the kid traveling, uh, teach them what, teach them everything, you know, I mean, you're a well-educated man now, self-educated, yeah, yeah, which is yeah, arguably yeah. way better. Yeah, you're learning yeah. practical stuff. Yeah. All right. Um, so I talked to you a little bit before we started this episode and learned a little bit about, uh, your lifestyle, how you prefer to charter instead of purchase yeah, yeah, the, yachts, sorry about that. the private yeah. jets. No, you're good. Uh, so first I'd like to ask kind of why, what's the benefit of chartering versus owning? Okay. That's a great question. So when you look at a private jet, okay, uh, first of all, I mean, I'm just giving like a simple rundown of why many people would prefer to charter rather than own. When you own, you have maintenance. You have to pay a fees just to put it at the airport. You know, you have, you have pilot, you have staff, you have fuel. Look at fuel costs. Crazy. You have all of these expenses. But when you charter... Unless you're doing it nonstop, it's, you're probably better off chartering. So, for example, you can charter a pilotus. Like, it's, it's a small plane, twin prop. You can get that for about, let's say, $8,000 an hour. That's a good regional flight. You can go. You live in Petersburg, right? St. Petersburg, Florida, Tampa Airport. Yeah, that's a beautiful place. Yeah, I, I was out there recently. Yeah, they, 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 have, a, they have a private airport out there. You they do from, actually. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I, and and I was and I was there, and you could go from Tampa, let's say, to Bahamas. All right, you, you do it once a year. You do it once, two, three, two, three trips a year. You're much better off than buying a four million dollar plane, you know, or a ten million dollar plane. Same with the same with the yacht. You know, you're paying money to put it, let's say, in the marina. You're paying money for maintenance, the crew, people sleep in the yacht. I think that's why I prefer to just charter it because it's it's a waste of capital unless it's like, okay, you have a big corporation, you have a bunch of employees, you're going to write it off and you're using it to entertain guests. You know, you have a lot of executives that uh, will need it on a weekly basis to, you know, you're doing regional travel and it's just something that's going to be used and you're doing sales calls and you got you know, executives, then I could understand and you're really using it, you know? Other than that, I, I think you're better off just flying, you know, commercial. Personally, I prefer flying commercial only because of the fact of safety, because I get paranoid and I get anxiety when the turbulence hits. I, I think commercial jets are fly, uh, safer. But, it, but, but, why, but if I'm only going to use the private jet or private plane for a few trips, you know, why, 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 uh, why own it and put, tie up $5 million of capital? $10 million capital. And then even when, even when you get there, you start to see, so you got, so you have levels. Anyone that, that charters planes knows, knows what I'm about to say. If you, th you could think you're wealthy 
And then you're like, all right, well, I'm going to get this private plane. It's like a twin prop. Right? All right, cool. You're like in that $2 million, you know, atmosphere level. Then you got like light jet, medium-sized jet, heavy jet. You know, it's, 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 and, and, and every level you go higher, you're looking at a much more expensive hourly cost. So it can go from 8,000 to like 40,000, like real fast. So, so even now, this is something that like people that do this will understand, similar to like a Rolex watch or a Patek Philippe or Audemars, right? Like people that collect watches, they can say, oh, okay, well, that's a vintage Rolex. Or, oh, that's, that's a Patek Philippe. Oh, that's a Daytona. Oh, that's a submarine. You know, like, like the watch collectors can tell, right? I don't collect cars, for example. I, I, they don't do anything for me. But there's guys that they know everything about a Ferrari, Lamborghini, Bugatti, uh, Mercedes, BMW. I, I'm fine with an Audi or a BMW. I don't care. It, it just doesn't do – it does nothing for me, you know? But there are people who love it. They can break it down. Same with watch collectors, same with art collectors, same with yachts, same with plane. So like, for example, when I'm rocking a plane, one of my videos, I'll be honest, like I'm not, I'm not, I'm not getting a heavy, big size jet. I can't afford that. I'll be honest. I can't. Can I afford a light one? Yeah. Can I afford a twin prop? Yeah. But that's me, you know, and, and that's when I realized, hey, you can show off on TikTok with a bunch of 20 year olds, but hey, man, I'm not really that big of a CEO either. You know, I I get humbled. I remember being in bed a few, two, three weeks ago, telling my woman, like, dang, like I was feeling really big showing off in front of social media. And I was just like, I'm actually such a small CEO because Elon could just get the most expensive one. I remember when Trump was running for his presidential campaign. It's so subliminal. You don't you don't necessarily you, you subconscious like you understand that's a big jet he has. Right. You understand that's massive compared to a small one, but it's really for the people that also do it. And they see, wow, he had the big ass. He had a big ass jet. Like, it's just like, wow. You know, that's like the gaudiest of the gaudiest, you know, same with like someone that's renting a yacht, chartering a yacht and they're getting a massive, one. you know, it's just, it's just, there's, what are you going to do? Get a $200 million yacht. I can't afford a $2 million yacht. Yeah, I go charter right. a five, ten million dollar one. Feel pretty good in front of TikTok and Instagram. But let's just be—I'm not a billionaire, you know. <laughs> like, you know, it's, it's funny. Yeah, Pe- people hear millionaire, billionaire. The difference between a millionaire and a billionaire when you see it, when you see what a billion dollars gets you versus what a million dollars gets you in terms of lifestyle, it's just absurd. Yeah, and it's hard for people who aren't in the jet world to fully appreciate the difference, but man, is there a difference? I remember, yeah, Yeah. man, is there a difference? Uh, So it's about $8,000 an hour to charter a a twin twin engine, private jet, a basic one like that. Cool, you do that about once a year. That's actually very reasonable. That's good for people to know that, what does it cost 20, 30 grand for a, a reasonable trip once a year? That's not that bad. What about the yachts? Talk to me about those. Yeah, well, you know, in Miami, they're very popular. So in Miami, oh, yeah. Yeah, you know, in Miami, it's, I think what you tend to find in Miami is uh, people, a, a group of tourists will come in town and it'll be like 15 of them and they just cram one, one yacht. Uh, yeah. You know, and that's cool. I, I've done that before, but, but I, I'd rather just get my own, you know, and again, you don't really need that much. You know, ten fifteen thousand dollars 
you should be pretty fine to take one for the day. But I say this, like you, there's something I didn't know. Maybe a lot of people knew this. I didn't know this. You actually have staff that lives on the yacht. You know, you have, you know, the stewardess, you have the captain. They might have two people that are doing maintenance and other work, crew, you know, the crew. And there's, so you, there's several bedrooms down there and there's people that actually live there. And so, so you're actually paying for that and you're paying for fuel and you're paying the owner, uh, you know, you know, for his main, you know, for his depreciation, for him to make a profit, but you're still way better off. You know, like if you allocated a budget, let's just say hypothetically, $200,000 to chartering planes and yachts, you're still better off than putting that money and buying a $5 million plane. You know, it's just, then you tied up that capital, where's it going? Unless you want to get into chartering planes. Now, if you charter, if you want to get into the chartering business, for example, here in Europe, it's a phenomenal, here in Europe, chartering planes is just an excellent business right now because so many of these airlines have just completely screwed their employees from what I hear. I was talking to a lady from um, Emirates, uh, Emirates, I'm sorry, uh, Emirates, and uh, I was looking to charter um, a private plane just, just recently, just a few days ago, from uh, Dusseldorf to Amsterdam. And, and, and she was telling me how she got laid off and, and, you know, during the lockdowns, presumably. And then they asked her to come back. And, and she's like, I don't want to come back. I, you know, I just had a baby. I'm fine. Now she lives in Hungary. And she can make just as much money just chartering these planes. And there's like a shortage from what I understand. I'm not sure, you know, does that impact all the markets? But with, with all the things that happen, more people are flying private and it's actually becoming more and more affordable. You, now you have people that are just, you know, they're, they're, they're even giving you deals on empty legs. That was always the, the thing from what I understand. But now with technology, you can see empty leg here, empty leg there, empty leg here. So, you know, I love empty leg. Talk to me about that for listeners that don't quite know what you're talking about. What is, what does empty leg mean? Yeah. Well, I could tell you you're familiar with this too, right? If you know what empty leg is, <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah, man. So, so empty leg is basically like right now I'm in Paris. Uh, I want to fly to Zilt, which is a German island. It's like a destination similar to, I don't know, Hamptons in New York City, but Germany. Germany is the richest country in the, in the EU uh, in, in, in regards to GDP and just ec economy size. So, for example, from Paris to Zilt, you're looking at about two hours roundabout flight um, and you're like, okay, well, I want to fly there, but Hey, guess what? Maybe someone came from Zilt to Paris this morning and they only took it one way. They're not, they're not, that's it. Like, like imagine, like imagine you want to take a private plane. You just want to go one way, but now the owner is going to bring that jet right back to Zilt. But, now, you might not want to pay $30,000, $15,000 an hour, but you, they'll give you a deal where you can take it for, hey, we'll give you a, you know, we'll give it to you for $8,000, right? They'll give it to you for $9,000. It depends. Do you know the owner? Do you know the broker? Do you have a relationship? Are you a repeat client? You know, because really what's going on, for example, here in, in the EU you have tons of websites and it's pretty similar in the United States, right? You have brokers. They go on Instagram 
They go on, they go on, you know, websites, they do Google search. You can find them, you know, pretty easy here in Europe. The big one that's really well respected, for example, is Vista. They, they just have basically a brand new fleet, but you're looking at a minimum of like, you know, 15,000 an hour or so, but it's basically brand new. So again, you have levels, even with private chartering, private planes, man. Like it's, it's like, you can go to a nightclub. You feel pretty good. Oh, I got $2,000 table. Next guy got 30 bottles of Dom Perignon. He just blew you out, bro. <laughs> like, yep. Now he, he's the one that spent 15, $20,000 plus the gratuity and everything. Let's add another 6,000, 8,000 for that. He spent 28,000. You spent 2,800. He got all the attention, you know, and, and the women, let's say, I, I mean, I mean, a lot of times I see these guys don't actually get all the women, but you know, it's, 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 but he just made you feel smaller. You know, it's right. even, even with the private, even with the private planes, bro, there's like levels, man. And I realize how small I am when I go to a private uh, executive airport. That's what they call it. Basically. Right. It's, it's funny how that works, huh? When you make a certain amount of money and you reach a certain level, you really just become kind of the, the, the bottom ring in a totem pole again. You're just playing in a different ballpark. Yeah. Uh, so no matter how much you make, it, it, it seems to be the case, which I think is really interesting. Yeah, man, it's, it, it really is true. And, and uh, yeah, it really is. It really is. Like you really feel like it's almost like you can never fill that cup. You know, it's like it's got this cup, but there's a hole yeah. in here. I, I, I find I just get miserable when I compare myself to other people. I, I just it just brings we all do. Yeah. It's poison. It's poison. It really is. man. Yeah. Yeah. If you, you know. If, all right, brother. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, so a couple questions for you. Obviously, you've been uh, in the game for a long time, been living the 1% life, chartering some cool stuff. What's the coolest shit that you've done? Some 1% shit that you paid to do that was a really cool experience that you think was absolutely worth the money? 1%. Man, that's, that's such a great question. Um You know, I would say a lot of the, I would say just, yeah, you know, being able to, being able to, uh, man, that's such a good question. You got me, man. You got me. What's one thing? You can take a second, think about it. We'll circle back at the end. Yeah, How about yeah. That? Thank you, man. Thank you. That's a really good question. Yeah. Cool. I'll give you some time. In the meantime, I know you wanted to ask me a few, so which is, uh, we'll do a fun little role reversal on the podcast. I love it. I love it. Yeah. All right. What? what what questions you got for me? Let's let's jam. Well, I know you're a doctor, medical doctor, and, and you like fitness, I can tell. So here's my question. Sure do. If you're someone that weighs, I don't know, let's say 180 pounds, okay, but you want to get down to 170 and you want to reduce your body fat percentage from 14% to 7%, okay? Or is that, okay, so here's my question. Is it easier to go from 14% to 7% or is it easier to go from, let's say what, uh, 180 pounds to 170 pounds? Is it easier to get leaner or is it easier to get a lower body fat percentage? That's basically my question. Sorry. As you can hear, the dog just started barking a little yeah. bit. All good. All right. So the question. Oh, sorry. Yeah, it's all <laughs> sorry, good. everybody. All good. Moses, if you haven't met Moses, he's my golden doodle. I'm sure you've seen him on the social media. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. So the question was, um, is it easier to get leaner in terms of percentage or is it easier to lose the yeah. weight? I mean, if, if you're at a point where you're not a, a, an obese person and you're looking to lean out, 
those numbers are probably going to move together, right? Unless, for example, you you lose a bunch of fat without putting on any muscle. Um, I actually, is it here? I have a body fat scanner from Bello, and that is what I use to track my physical progress in terms of um, weight loss, fitness, nutrition, muscle density. Uh, so that's actually a much better metric than using the scale because the scale just tells you how much you weigh. It doesn't tell you the composition, what's going on internally in your body. So it's actually a pretty affordable device, really easy to use, takes about a minute. And the information that you get from scanning your body fat percentage is much better than your mass on a scale. Because as you know, you know, muscle weighs more than fat. Um, our water content in our body fluctuates day to day, but you can't really trick a body fat scanner. So I'm gonna say what's better is tracking your body fat percentage. You're gonna look for steady decreases in body fat. Seven's gonna be a little tough to get to. That We're talking bodybuilder status there in like the four to eight range. Uh, I right now sit at like 13 to 15% body fat, which I think is a really good healthy range for, some, for an adult who's in good shape. Yeah, cause you know, I feel like, um, like I, I've lost weight myself. You know, I'm trying to like lose the weight I gained from during COVID. But I feel like my body's gotten much more muscular, but at the same point, I haven't lost, I only lost like 10 pounds in the last seven months, but I can feel my body does not look like, and I'm like, how come I didn't lose weight, but I, I, I feel way more muscular. I'm doing running, boxing, weightlifting, hiking, you know, walking. And you're just guessing based on what you're seeing in the mirror, right? And how you yeah. feel that you're, you haven't lost weight, but you look more muscular. Yeah. There's a way to tell. I'll send you a link to this body fat scanner, super easy to use. And that, that way you don't have to guess because you see yourself every day. Seeing incremental changes every day is tough. Um, your mom who sees you maybe once or twice a year is be like, oh, you look good. You look more muscular. But it's really hard for you to be sure about those changes on a day-to-day -day basis. The body fat scanner makes and that a lot easier. As a medical easier. doctor, you know, like when someone comes in to do a physical is if, if they were to say to you, okay, I'm going to come back next year, I'm going to be healthier but I can only use one metric. That's either going to be the body fat or the weight scale. Which one would you say is more impactful to coming back with a better physical? For average healthy person. Uh, if you're in, yes, as long as you're in a healthy range, body fat percentage is going to be the metric that I would use, which is wrong because now we use BMI, but that number is really used to track people who are not healthy, who are having problems. For example, if a BMI is 30, 35, that person probably needs pharmaceutical intervention. Really, uh, they, they need help from the medical system. If it's you and you're coming in and I'm trying to optimize your yeah. health to you know make you live forever and operate at, a, at, a, at 110%, which is what I want to yeah. do, then I'm tracking your body fat percentage. Wow. Wow. And, and, and do you think, like, it, like, how come you think it is that a man can, you know, lift weights, do cardio, a bunch of cardio, they're gaining muscle, but they're not really losing like, wait, like, how, how's that possible? Like, that you're not losing weight. Like, as a medical doctor, I'm just curious. Like, how's that possible that you're getting muscle, you're fucking training hard, bro, five, six days a week, but you're just not shedding, but you are getting muscle. Like, how's that possible considering you're doing so much cardio? And I'm just like, you, you ever heard the old school saying? You probably heard this when you were five years old. Muscle weighs more than fat. It's true. If you're at the same time. Your calorie in, your your calories in, calories out is the same. Uh, you're building muscle while simultaneously losing fat. You're not going to fluctuate in your weight very much, and that's a good thing, uh, unless your goal is you know to 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 drop pounds on the scale. And if you're 
an obese person, I'd say that's goal number one is, you know, let, let's shed some pounds on the scale. Um, but if you're, if you're you and you're at a healthy 180 and you're trying to beef up, put on some muscle, then I wouldn't be too concerned if you're doing all the right things, you see your body habit is changing and your, your, your weight on the scale is not changing. That's fine. Yeah. 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 Well, that's interesting, man. And then another thing, I, another thing yeah. I want to, I'd like to see what you think about, you know, um, you know, in the United States, when I look at the healthcare, like, you know, me, someone like me in Germany, I can just buy private healthcare. Um, but, but, but in the United States, um, and I see what you think as you know, medical doctor here, as an American expat who lives in the United States and lives in Germany, I see, you know, admittingly, a lot of my views tend to be on the conservative side, but on this one specific isolated issue, I see that the German healthcare system, to me, the public healthcare system is superior, and here's why. Here's why. Number one, the gas station worker can get a great healthcare plan with no worry about cost. And I feel like right now I can go urinate right now. You can go urinate right now. Somebody watching this or listening to this can go urinate and blood comes out. Like it's just something out of your control. Like it's just not, now you're going to go to the doctor. Maybe you find out you have some condition that it could be life threatening. So here's the thing in Germany, they don't have that issue. Now in Germany, there's they're also paying more taxes, but in Germany, their elections are cleaner, more trustworthy. You actually can see where the money's going. So in the United States, I'm not suggesting people pay more taxes because I think we already pay so much in taxes. It's crazy in the United States. But it's like, where the heck did the money go? So I'm asking you here, how is it possible that Germany and the United States, both rich countries, rich, you know, among the richest countries in the world, highest standard of living in the world, how is it possible that we can't have that for our waiters, for our uh, bus drivers, for our bartenders? You know, for our freelancers who might only make sixty, seventy thousand, the guy can't afford health care, and now he's scared to go to the doctor. Then five years later, he finds out he has a condition that just fucked his whole body. Now, so I'm asking you as a doctor, what do you think the problem is that we can't do that? Because we're definitely paying a lot in taxes. And look, look what now they're going to hire all these IRS. I mean, where is this money going, bro? You know, <laughs> hey, please, how can we solve this so more people can get health care? And, and here's one more thing, I've noticed. In Germany, the conservatives and the liberals agree everyone should be paying. Everyone should have health care. I mean, Germany is a rich country, a ton of innovation, one of the strongest economies in the world, despite a population of only about 88 million. I mean, they managed to do all these things that we do in the United States, and they have a ton of billionaires, yet their working class has health care. So I'd love to hear just your your everything. I, you could disagree with everything I just said. This is antidotal, me just talking to people. You know what I mean? I think what you just said is common sense. Uh, and it, it's common sense until it gets to a point. And I'm going to bring you to that point and let's see yeah. if we disagree. And this is a, I mean, it's a really complicated problem. There's no doubt. There's a lot of people who have thought longer and harder and are much smarter than I am to try and fix this. And I don't pretend to have solutions. But what I think is going wrong and based on uh, hundreds of conversations I've had with doctors, healthcare administrators, this seems to be kind of the core of the issue. And America is, you're right, we have the most money in our healthcare system. There's no reason our healthcare system should be such shit. The reason that I believe it is, and one of the consensus is that Americans are overall much unhealthier than other countries. Uh, so it takes a lot more money to take care of them. 
uh, I don't know if you're familiar with primary, secondary, tertiary types of healthcare. Tertiary care is a diabetic waits until the very last minute, until they are an advanced type two diabetic, their legs are gonna be chopped off, they've got heart disease, then they'll go and get help. It costs a lot more to take care of that person than it does when you're doing pre-screenings, you're finding it early, you're treating them with really cheap medications like metformin. So that's a huge problem in America, particularly uh, in the middle of America where people aren't necessarily educated enough to have the access to have those screening procedures. So one, we're, we're unhealthy. There's no, the SAD diet, standard American diet, it's SAD. It's creating sickness. That sickness is very expensive to take care of. One of the other major problems, and here's where it gets controversial, here's where you might disagree, is you agree healthcare is a human right. Yes, it should be a human right. I do too, to a point. What is that point? Where is that line? Um, do we take care of 80-year-old grandma with multiple comorbidities as she's laying there comatose, spending a million dollars a year to keep her alive, keep her breathing? I don't know, but that's what we're currently doing. We're spending a massive amount of our healthcare budget and end-of-life care. America's also got the most advanced healthcare system yeah, yeah. in the entire world. And it's bad. The, the, the outputs are bad. But what we have access to, the technology here, is insane. And where do you draw the line between basic healthcare is a right and this is no longer a right? This is now exclusively reserved for those who can afford it. And where that line gets blurred, I think, is where the healthcare system gets very expensive. When you're paying for transplants or gene editing technology or very expensive anti-cancer drugs, it's, it's a tough one. It's a tough one to, to cut that off and say, this is no longer a basic healthcare human right. This is something that is a privilege that you, that you have worked to be able to afford. Because And as healthcare gets more advanced, as technology gets more advanced, this is going to be more of a problem. And I don't have the answers to solve it, uh, but it's a tough one. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. You know, like even despite the fact that uh, I agree with you, like I think a lot, I think basically a lot of people would agree when you say America's uh, medical care is the most advanced on the private side. I, you know, but when I when I talk about public health care, public, you know, like right. Canada, uh, uh, Germany. Like the way I rationalize this is in Germany, at least, it's just a more trustworthy government. Like the insurance company cannot rip off the people. What I would say is ripping off the people the way they do in the United States. I mean, these people. The insurance business and the pharmaceutical business have their hooks so far into the healthcare system. And I don't know how to get them out. But I agree with you. It's a, it's a massive problem, not just here, but abroad, too. But especially here, the cost of medications, uh, the way the insurance system works, the privatized insurance system, it's crazy. Uh, and you're right, that needs to be reformed. And I think that's going to come from a government level. Uh, but again, that's a tough problem to solve because once you start trying to come up with solutions, they pretty much all fail. And we've, we've had these conversations like, okay, just like all public insurance, no more private or all private, let them compete. Um, the ones that put, put limits on the pharmaceutical company and what they're able to charge. Now they can't innovate. It's, it's tough, tough man. It's, it's tough. tough. Yeah. I, I understand that. You know, as an entrepreneur, I understand, you know, you don't want to discourage strifle uh, innovation. You know, I, 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 
And they're lobbying like crazy. They spend millions and hundreds of millions of dollars lobbying the government so that we don't do this. I mean, look at TikTok, 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 the Chinese Communist Party, which, you know, ByteDance, which owns TikTok. I mean, they're even lobbying. I mean, I don't know how, and some of these guys like Trent Lott, without getting too far into politics, a Republican. I thought to myself, like, wow, I thought politicians could be not trustworthy people. But I'm like, wow, even Republicans were taking money Take money from ByteDance, the Chinese Communist Party, bro, to lobby on behalf of TikTok. Like, it just blows my mind. You know, uh, you, you mentioned DeSantis. He, he's gone pretty bold recently with uh, the CCP propaganda in the school, which I was just so happy. I was wondering what did he think about that. And I was just so relieved. That yeah. You know what's even crazier? Coming, coming from the medical world and a formal medical yeah. education how far they have their hooks in what we learn and how we practice medicine, certain things they don't even teach us. They won't teach us. So if you learn about it, they shoot it right down. Uh, we get several hours in nutrition and like a hundred hours in neuroanatomy stuff that we're never going to use. And all of the prescribed treatments, the way to talk to patients, it's all from the pharmaceutical companies and, and from the, it's, it's the biggest business in the world. And kind of the same thing is to be said about regenerative medicine and all the research that's going on coming out. All of the research that we're supposed to practice by and preach and live by is funded by food, by big food, by big pharma. So what, what do you really believe? And I know you talked politically uh, briefly. Uh, it's when there's money, when there's a financial incentive for something to be a certain way, uh, I, I kind of just assume that that's a, that that's there. There's a financial incentive to not teach us nutrition. There's a financial incentive to teach us to prescribe this instead of try a diet first. And that's one of the reasons that I formally left and don't plan on going back to traditional medicine ever. Uh, but there's a really interesting field in regenerative medicine where I think this is all getting, getting, we're, we're figuring it out very quickly. And there's a big private sector of medicine forming the you know, regenerative medicine, wellness spas, we're talking NAD plus, stem cells, gene therapy, gene editing, things that were once looked at as you know, woo-woo are now generally accepted. They can't be denied anymore. And I think it's gonna be a really interesting future for anyone who can afford modern healthcare because things are coming in there. Well, awesome. Here's one more medical question, all right, before you go here. Uh, sure. Now with everything going on, do you think that, uh, that AIDS is something that, you know, I mean, what do you think? Like this prep, right? Like, but I'm just saying like, you know, like, what, what do you think? Like, do you think in the next five years, we're going to have a cure as a medical doctor? Do you think in the next five years, 10 years, we will have a cure for AIDS? I think it's possible we already have one and that it's not being released because people are dependent on these medications. It's a recurring revenue model. I think we have the technology to cure AIDS. Um, whether it's going to become available for general, for, for purchase. I don't know if it ever will. And same thing is to be said about a lot of- Cancer, cancer. Uh, a lot of the different types of cancer out there. Right, that's, that's the one I'm gonna mention. A lot of people have come to me and my TikTok and said, you know, we have the cure for cancer. It's obviously out there. I mean, cancer is a very complicated disease. There's hundreds of different types, each with a different uh, treatment modality and that would be a different cure. But yes, the cancer industry makes billions and billions of dollars on recurring revenue. And if we were able to cure cancer, 
formally, all, all of the different types of cancer, or at least most of them, there's a big financial incentive for that not to happen. Do we have the technology? Yeah. Uh, could we do it in the next 10 years? Hell yeah. Um, but will we? I don't think so. I really don't. Not as long as the business how about, lives. How about the fact, though, the person that finds the cure will make a lot of money? How about that? How would they stop them? Like if he had a cure, would they just find a reason to say it's not working or they like, they, yeah. How would they yeah. like? And this is where the conspiracy theorists come out to play in order to prove that you have to, that you have a cure, you need to go through clinical trials and prove that that cure works and that it doesn't have any nasty side effects. Those clinic, that clinical trial process is heavily regulated. So I don't know how many things have been bought and crushed or never even made it to that stage. But this is where the conspiracy theorists really run wild. And yeah. to be honest, it's a conspiracy theory until proven otherwise. But I believe a lot of these things have been bought, crushed, or just never seen the light of day. There's cases of a lot of these inventors and innovators being murdered or mysteriously dying. Uh, so it's a scary world out there. I mean, it's it's the biggest business I, I believe that exists is is healthcare. There's so much money that goes through it, and that money that money is is put to good use and uh, keeping that yeah, business alive man. you know it's, it's the drug business the drugs yeah Real. it's a crazy world all we can do as entrepreneurs as people is i think i, I asked you earlier what was the one of the coolest things you can do in the top one yeah. percent in the next 10 20 years my answer is and, and will be you know keeping myself feeling young looking young and biologically young for as long as i can through all of these different treatment modalities that exist and that are coming out very rapidly. Whether they ever make it through clinical trials, probably not, but they will be available either here or abroad, and I will be heavily participating in them as I, nice, as I get older. Man. Nice, yeah, yeah, that's nice, man. You know, I, I, uh, to answer, I guess not to answer your question, um, I'd say just being able to, yeah, you know, on, on a, on a pretty fairly consistent basis, just rent a yacht, go enjoy sunset. If I want, watch Miami, you know, go, go, you know, see the skyline, see the city, just watch it and invite one or two people to join me. That and having a boxing coaches that are, you know, that are gold medalists, champion boxers, you know, my, my main boxing coach in Florida, 4X champ, state 7X champ. I might be getting this vice versa, national champ and state Florida state champ. Just being able to train, which just it's it's not a lot of money, but it's just the fact that I, I like as someone that loves athletic athletic activity, just it, I just think it's cool to have a personal trainer and it, and be able to easily afford it, like really really be able to afford it. And I I guess that's something that that not everyone has that I that I feel like that that's something I really appreciate, you know. I I love that answer, yeah. and me too. I train uh, Muay Thai right next door with a private in a private gym. I fucking love it. I think it's transformational. Any entrepreneur, any man who can get in there and take up a sport where you're hitting things, I think is so healthy. Uh, I, I feel the testosterone kind of pumping during, after, and it's just so something primal about it. That's just good for you. Great for your energy, good for your yeah. self-confidence and good for your personal growth. So awesome yeah, answer, brother. You. And I hope to be a, on, yeah, a yacht yeah, on you yeah, sometimes yeah, yeah. with you yeah, yeah. in Miami. Sometime soon, yeah, brother. Let's, thank let's you. Take thank you for out. having me. Really, thank you for having me. Yeah. This was a blast. And if you're not already, go and follow Nima Yamini yeah, on Instagram. Instagram. I'll have it linked down there in the show notes. Uh, check him out. He's, he's a is an awesome content creator, successful entrepreneur. 
Uh, and I want to commend you on the content and your responsibility as an influencer, as you discussed earlier. Uh, never, never, never leave thank that you, behind. Thank you. Thank and, you, Dr. Uh, thank you thank for you. your time thank today. You for